Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and with me to discuss Psalm 43 today is Nathan Giles. If you didn't hear Nathan's first appearance on Curious Psalms, you can hear his reflections in our episode on Psalm 29. He teaches at William Jessup University and serves at Granite Springs in a whole host of different ways, including his role as part of our youth leadership team. I think of Nathan as one of those people who is a natural scholar, thoughtful and precise while maintaining a curiosity and deep engagement with the world. So I'm sure you'll hear that in our conversation and enjoy his thoughts. To get us started, here's Nathan reading Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Nathan, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks, Matt. I like the intro with the the scholar. It's nice to know that asking weird questions and having weird thoughts late at night makes me a scholar. I do think of you that way. Although <laughs> I know also from some of our conversations, that wouldn't have been, I sort of described you as a natural scholar, but you wouldn't describe yourself as necessarily a natural born scholar. It's been a journey to get where you are. Quite a journey, yeah. yeah. A, lot which, of, a lot of slow reading, very slow. <laughs> which, all you know, is a sign of perseverance. I think, <laughs> a symbol of your character. Or stubbornness. <laughs> I was telling you before we started recording, but I was surprised when I started looking at my guest list and thinking about who to either have on or have, have back that you'd only been on once. And I just thought, this is a travesty that must be <laughs> corrected. So I'm... I'm glad that I serve a God of justice, and here I am <laughs> making right the wrongs, participating as, as in his should. work. Yeah. No, I'm thankful that we get to talk about Psalm 43. Let's just go ahead and dive right in with our first question. Nathan, what stood out to you in reading this psalm? I, the last one we did, not that it wasn't relatable, but I think this one for me is particularly relatable today. Mm. I mean, it's easy for me to insert myself kind of in the three chunks of this psalm sure. and look at myself and say, I feel like I've been doing things right. I've been trusting you, God, but why have you forgotten me? Mm. But then have that quick shift to, I could still be wrong. So God, <laughs> please, please do guide me in this and my thinking and in my pursuit of you. Mm. And so I was just kind of blown away as to how short and relatable this psalm is. And I appreciate bringing me in for a five verse psalm. <laughs> Eases the pressure. The, the re- I guess for a slow reader, it's actually very pleasant. Yeah, it took me the same amount of time as a normal psalm. So it's that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I find that sometimes the short Psalms, they pack so much and mm. yeah, have this kind of deep relatability at the same time. I appreciate kind of your movements that you've articulated here of the confidence of verses one and two, and then mm. also the humility of verse three. And then verse five, how would you kind of describe verse five in terms of kind of the closing move to the Psalm? It's kind of an interesting choice. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I think of this as the way we should do a lot of our Christian walk where mm. we we have like this realization of, okay, this is how I feel maybe coming from verses one and two and then three and four kind of moving toward like, okay, but I may not have an accurate view of myself and my circumstance mm. and leaning on God for that. But then having that kind of self-awareness to then look back at ourselves and say, okay, 
but I'm still feeling a certain way. Why is that? And then kind of diving into that and saying, look, like uh, speaking to this, like my own soul saying, hey, don't panic. Like you've been trusting in God. If you trust in God, that there's no reason that this specific circumstance should end that. Keep trusting and look forward to what I've already said, I believe is actually true in the past verse. Yeah. So I think that almost like a, I don't want to say like positive self-talk in like a popular psychology sense, but that same kind of idea of saying, okay, if I really believe this, let me like then turn this back on myself and say, like kind of get your act together, but in a very yeah, like sure. uh, deep, meaningful way. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you use the phrase self-talk because that's actually what Q and I talked about for Psalm 42. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 43, what stood out to me is right away, if you've read Psalm 42 beforehand, these two are closely connected. Potentially, maybe yeah. we're even one one poetic psalm at one point that have been sort of edited apart because verse 5, that why my soul are you downcast, is the exact same refrain mm-hmm. that happens in verse 5 of Psalm 42 and verse 11. And there's also in verse 2, the psalmist says, why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? That's the same exact phrase from verse 9 of Psalm 42. Mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things about Psalm 42 that Q and I were talking about is Psalm 42 never addresses God. It is sort of purely self-talk, right. purely self-referential, not in an in a negative kind of narcissistic way, but just in this fascinating perspective. And it was helpful for me to then kind of come to Psalm 43, where it's, oh, here's here's the turn toward God. I'm curious, maybe moving to our second question here, and especially I'm curious in light of Psalm 43 beginning to address God, but what you think we learn about God from this psalm? That's a harder question, Matt. Progressively harder. Yeah, yeah let's, just... let's just stick on this question for the next 10 minutes then. <laughs> now, I think, I guess another thing that really stood out to me and that's kind of led me to it. Yeah, sure. Answering that question of what can we learn about God here. I think kind of that, that middle chunk, verses three and four, where it says essentially like guide me and reveal yes. truth. And then he follows that up with basically that will lead me to your altar and mm. praising you. A lot of times I think when we look at Psalms, a lot of those prayers can seem like, like a little bit of a, quid pro quo kind of thing with God saying, sure. God save me. And if you do, then I'll praise you. Yes. And like in the English, like face value, I think that is kind of what it seems to say. Yeah. But I think more than likely what's being said there is like when God reveals his truth to us, when he does put us in that place where we can clearly see what he's doing, it's not quite as mysterious as God often is. I think that brings us to a place where we can praise him and see him for who he actually is rather than kind of like guessing and hope fully trusting maybe and so i think that that idea of sending light sending truth to us isn't just kind of the way to bring us to a place where i feel like praising god i'm like okay well you did me a solid so now i'll i'll do what i think yeah, yeah, I yeah, owe right. you. Uh-huh. it's much more of a i'm now in a place where i can do the thing that i deeply desire to do and i can do it well because i see what you're doing in my life rather than saying sure god i trust you i have no idea what's going on so i think it brings a lot of meaning to that and I think that's God's that's God's intention in kind of bringing light into situations, bringing the truth into situations, so that we get to know and understand Him and our relationship with Him better. Yeah, I appreciate kind of the yeah the distinction. The quid pro quo is certainly, I think, something that like we wrestle with in the Psalms, yeah. right? And in some sense, I have to have the bigger story and the bigger kind of covenantal picture mm-hmm. of Scripture in mind as we come to the Psalms. This Psalm does. I was just thinking about just reinforcing what you said. The let them bring me to your holy mountain. Mm-hmm. Like that's just an interesting phrase. It goes further maybe than some other Psalms in terms of the receptivity and the work that God is doing here. In other words, it's like 
to me going to what you said it's almost like like bring me all the way mm-hmm. like like do all the work and then like then i will go to the altar of god so it, it feels yeah i i guess i'm just saying like the kind of the amount of work that the psalmist is inviting god to do mm-hmm. is a little bit different also in these particular verses than sort of a classic kind of deliver me rescue me and then i will praise you in the mm-hmm. assembly which is kind of interesting as well. Although certainly the deliverance is there earlier in the song, right? right? I was I was actually quite fascinated and maybe I can ask you to help me work this out together. <laughs> but the phrase plead my cause, mm-hmm. I think I just found really interesting because from what I can tell, the, the words are translated in a variety of ways, but it can be used sort of in a legal context. And in fact, David uses it that way. He uses that it that way when he cuts off the edge of Saul's robe mm-hmm. and doesn't kill him and then comes out and waves and looks, says, you know, basically, look, I didn't do anything. Then basically says, like, let God judge between you and me. You know, let Like, basically uses this exact, exact language, which is kind of fascinating. But I was thinking, it's pretty interesting, the idea of God pleading our cause, because God, in that case, is both, like, in a court scene, both like defense attorney or mm-hmm. and judge, yeah. right? The psalmist wouldn't have a view of there's some other judge to whom you would appeal beyond Yahweh, beyond sort of the God above all gods. That then sets me off on a whole kind of trajectory. I started thinking about Hebrews and the way that Jesus is talked about mm-hmm. as our mediator and high priest and how actually there it feels like there is something really central to the gospel in the idea that god himself sort of enters enters our place right and enters our role yeah. and begins to like in jesus we see god pleading on our behalf which then i mean the question for me i'd be curious if you have thoughts on this is like okay are we then talking about a god with sort of multiple personalities like god sort of arguing sort of against himself or trying to make the case to himself a case that he doesn't know well, I have, some, I have some thoughts, but I'm actually really curious what you think about that. <laughs> sure, Matt. Let's talk about the Trinity here. Why not? <laughs> no, it's... Uh, yeah, I think that's great. When I... As soon as you set up like that, that court scene yeah. image, that's entirely like, okay, this is the atonement that we're dealing yeah, with right. for me. And I think... I mean, talking about the Trinity can just be a nightmare for so many reasons because it's, it's infinitely complicated. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But when we talk about the attributes of God being perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, all these things, that those don't work together in our understanding, mm. like as humans, like, okay, if someone is loving me, they're probably doing what I think is best for me. But that doesn't work with someone who's perfectly just because I've done things that yeah. I'm deserving of some consequence for, yeah, but yeah. I don't want it. And so those come into conflict. But when you have the Trinity and you have the idea of, okay, you have kind of the defense attorney and the judge in one person, <laughs> it does seem like, okay, is it like, do we jump into modalism? This court is corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Or there's like, is like, oh, is this like, is the judge's son literally yeah, my right. yeah, deterrent? Yeah. And so things get weird. But I think the danger is we try to separate those things out more than we find yes. ways to unite them. Yes, that's helpful. And so when you say, okay, maybe the prosecutor and the defense attorney and the judge, all the same person, it's not that it's corrupt. It's just that all of those needs of being merciful while still just and while still loving, all of those are met within the same the same entity. Yeah. And that gets super confusing. Sure. But if we're able to hold on to that and allow for mystery kind yeah. of in the midst of it, I right. think that really helps 
because you have this image of someone who is committed to justice but can love in a way that is just can enact judgment in Mm -hmm. a way that preserves all parties involved and does what is best still accounting for things like free will and all this stuff that goes on yeah yeah there's layers in this particular psalm he's actually asking for kind of a prosecution Mm. rather than a defense attorney i mean he's actually kind of the plead my cause against an unfaithful nation so it's it's actually kind of interesting who's actually on trial is is the unfaithful nation in this case but i was thinking that there is something in the decision of god to prosecute or defend (laughs) it is almost like in that move the judgment is rendered like there is a union of judgment and action right like this is what this was me trying to wrestle i think Mm -hmm. with your yeah our tendency to want to like separate them out which then you end up with sort of a multi-personality unhelpful like oh jesus is the loving version and here's the father who's super judgmental which is not at all faithful to who god reveals himself (laughs) to be so but i was like there's something there's something mysterious that in the very act of the defense or the prosecution that sort of the the judgment is built into that act it's like the judge coming across coming across the bar, so to speak, and saying like, the judgment's been rendered. Now I will argue this case almost, which I think falls apart in various ways. But again, trying to, trying to like any, like any analogy, right. But trying to maintain kind of some of, some of that union. It's interesting. I don't know that the psalmist had that, you know, this is, this is poetry. And I don't know that the psalmist had the full Western legal system in mind, (laughs) the Western legal system in mind, or sort of a full atonement theory. But I, Mm -hmm. I do think there is something true to, the psalmist is speaking in a covenantal relationship with God and out of that basis assumes that God will defend or prosecute injustice. And I think that that is something we too can bank on. And we happen to have sort of a, some sense of fuller revelation about how God navigates some of those deeper realities right. through Jesus. Not that that then clears up everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that did just, it felt like just a single turn of phrase that just seemed actually like pretty important about kind of the ways that God works on our behalf, certainly in ways that we can't, we can't do fully ourselves. Thanks for letting me puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> Helping me puzzle through that. Yeah. I thought your comments were really helpful. Well, should we go to the last question? Maybe who knows if it's harder or easier, but I've made you talk <laughs> about the Trinity now. So hopefully it's downhill from here, but how does this Psalm help us to pray? Uh, I, I mean, just the structure of it, I think, is helpful for me personally. Mm. It kind of guides me in that that first section. Often when I pray, and this has only been the case for a couple of years now, I will pray very honestly about like how I feel. And I have to be very careful about that because I don't typically emote to other people <laughs> or God generally. And so to be able to do that and say, okay, I'm just going to embrace the feelings. Yeah kind of reflect on them and put that before God and then kind of take a step toward the, okay, but I know who God is. I have like this idea that maybe I'm not experiencing in a concrete way with God. So let me reflect on that. Mm. And I think that's kind of what is done in verses three and four. Yeah. And in the midst of that, you kind of find this, this realization of, okay, I don't actually know exactly what I'm doing all the time. Right. And it's that admission of needing revelation and truth that kind of brings to light the things that are going on internally for us. And honestly, I'm glad I had a short Psalm, but I, I would like to see, uh, and maybe this is David writing a psalm just in exhaustion, maybe. <laughs> and maybe that's why this last section is so short. But that that kind of turn inward toward the soul mm. and saying, like, I think this is like when Paul talks about kind of the warring between the flesh and the spirit. I think this is like a perfect Old Testament example of this. Huh. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. speaking to your own soul and saying, 
like why are you so sad why are you so like broken and down and panicked about this kind of learning to incorporate that in our prayer not to like try and split our personalities up but to say look like the mature like spiritual side of me or still actually fairly immature (laughs) but the maybe more mature version of my soul what's going on is often in disagreement with my flesh or at least probably should be if there's maturity in there and looking at that and saying okay how can I put these in conversation so that they are this, how, how can I make the spirit actually go into conversation with the flesh? Yeah. So it's not just like this, this angry reaction to the flesh, right? but kind of draw out what's going on and invite God into that to do the repair that we can't really do in mending that, that, that break. Yeah. Oh, I find that really helpful, Nathan, to think about prayer as a multiple levels of conversation. I think mm-hmm. all of us can relate all of us can relate to, I think, like some level of conflict within ourselves, yeah. right? We have a vision that we d- of ourselves and what we would like to be that we almost never live up to. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'll speak speak for myself. And I, yeah, and then, uh, okay, let me back up. I just think what you're naming is like this via media, this middle way between so many temptations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really helpful. And th- I think this psalm is helping us kind of chart that path because here's what i hear and you can tell me whether i'm hearing you right or not like one temptation is to say like all of my feelings are fully accurate to my reality right and so like i just bring all of those and god you just need to know how i feel and like that's and that's kind of where prayer ends and one thing i hear you saying is actually this psalm invites us to kind of an interrogation not not that we don't name those but we name them and then as they're named we can then kind of interrogate them and say but I'm trusting that there is a greater reality as well that may or may not always map to my feelings. So that's one temptation I hear. The other temptation is to say either, like, there is no conflict within me. Like, I just am who I am. Like, there's nothing greater about who I can be. <laughs> I sort of, there's like a stuckness, which I think, I'll, like, that's kind of a place of despair. Like, that's kind of a temptation to despair, I think, about our opportunities to grow. Then there's this other temptation to say, like, I'm I'm in constant conflict with myself and there is no healing that God can do mm-hmm. to that in, inner conflict. And even what you were saying, like you draw the distinction of flesh and spirit. I love what you talk about, that it becomes conversation and that it's opportunity to invite God into healing and rejuvenate and restore. Ultimately, we see this prefigured sort of in resurrection, right? Where there's mm-hmm. like an ultimate healing of, of the body. And that's, that's hugely significant. But it seems like this Psalm really like weaves us through like... Yeah, I mean, you were talking about positive psychology earlier, <laughs> which has gifts and has, mm-hmm. you know, drawbacks. And this psalm is maybe helping us navigate some of those and even some of our inner conflicts in really helpful ways. That's me. That's me trying to mirror back. But I, I just found what yeah. you said so helpful that I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah I think see. you're I think you're putting other words to what I'm trying to say and probably clearing it up a bit. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I'm just naming it in a different way because I just think. It's so, there's so many pitfalls. I think maybe particularly because we culturally are really in, interested and invested in like our psychology. And that's, I don't think that's bad. I think that mm-hmm. like ha- has and will and can result in lots of health. But it does also mean that if our whole culture is really interested in psychology, they're going to be views that are going to conflict with a biblical kind of perspective and that can help us deepen. So, yeah, I think. One thing on that in particular, I mean, in the like, I don't know, maybe in the academic setting, what we're talking about is essentially like the sanctification gap. Yeah. Where you have, you know, who I am and who I'm very aware of uh-huh. as, as being me, 
and the ideal Christian, like Jesus following person who I should be. Uh And sometimes it's a very short time into our walk with God. We're like, oh, wow, there's such a huge chasm between these two that I can't possibly do it. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. Maybe we have some more like consolation from God before we Uh realize that. (laughs) Yeah. But things get really messy. And I think the a lot of places within the church that will lean more into the psychological kind of you need to understand who you are in this sense outside Mm. the bible to be able to fix these things that is really attractive because we can do it ourselves but i think what's important in prayer is to realize so much of that is saying look i'm actually helpless in this yeah um all that i really have is my desire to be better yeah Um, i can't make that happen and so i think that's where Again, in the middle of the psalm, verses three and four, that's, I think that's very much something that I have to work on is saying, I can do a lot of things well, but my yes. salvation is not one of them. Yeah. And so to turn to God and say, I have to trust in you and I need you to show me and teach me and help me to know who you are, because I think that will actually change me far more than anything I can do myself. Yeah. Yeah. The passivity of this psalm really struck me too when I thought mm-hmm. about praying and the fact that like, is, is it... Is this true? Like this, this Psalm seems to suggest to me that like the prayer, God make me more loving, like that sincere prayer is going to be more effective at making me a more loving person than me, like going out and trying to do loving actions. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that those two aren't compatible, right? (laughs) right? Because in fact, God making me more loving will inevitably lead me to go out and do more loving actions. But that feels so like, it feels like naturally kind of counterintuitive. And the, to me anyway, like I think, cause we're just trained to be so much about action and like mm-hmm. doing also so much about like what is measurable. <laughs> right. Right. So, but I, yeah, I was really struck. Yeah. Just by verse three, like the psalmist is just like, yeah, like you like do it all, like even lead me to the mountain, like not, mm-hmm. not just uh, light and faithful care, but actually, they got to bring me all the way to the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I never know where these conversations are going to go exactly. Hey, but... we covered a lot. We got the Trinity. We got atonement in there. We got some sanctification gap stuff going on. Yeah, we really, we really nailed it. I said at the top, you're a natural scholar. I think just being in the room with you just let, led me to the deep places of all kinds of things. Contemporary psychology, all of it. So thanks, Nathan, for coming and talking about Psalm 43. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. Well, let's end. We talked a lot about verse three, so I think it makes sense for these to be kind of our words as we uh, go out. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms.